Lord, we bless you that uh, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. It's not about us, Lord. It's about you. This whole universe is your idea. Um, Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather this morning. Let your Holy Spirit be upon us as we reflect on your word and see how it fits into our lives and adjust ourselves accordingly. And you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe see. little update on my wife, Patty. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, she found out this week there needs to go in for more surgery. One of the lymph nodes they removed was metastatic. And so they're going, she's got surgery Wednesday at Listowel again, taking out more lymph nodes. So continued prayers would be appreciated. And uh, she did have a dance party before her first surgery, and she's planning another one this Tuesday, 78, women-only uh, dance party at our place. If you'd like to come, you're welcome. The Father's priorities. No divine deadbeat dad. Making Father more familiar. Jesus calls his followers to observe his commands, to walk in his ways. As we do so, the Holy Spirit shapes us to resemble Jesus more, and not only him but also God, our Heavenly Father. For those who are fathers, being a godly parent must mean that to some degree our children and others will begin to be able to recognize some likenesses to God in the way we act. A mother and her four-year-old son were looking through an old family photo album. The boy pointed at a picture of a handsome young man with dark curly hair. He asked, who's that? She told him, that's your father. The boy looked confused. Who's that bald guy that lives with us now? We dads may not have a lot of similarity to our photos from decades earlier, but hopefully we'll have an increasing resemblance to our Heavenly Father. Our scripture passage today suggests five priorities good fathers will have that are also akin to the way the Lord treats us. These five are Prizing, providing, protecting, preparing, and preferencing. These all require involvement and interaction with our kids, having an input and investment in their lives. In contrast to non-involvement, keeping hands off, being neglectful. God, our Heavenly Father, is involved with us. Else he wouldn't have sent Jesus his Son, God incarnate, God in the flesh. God is not like the so-called deadbeat dad that shirks on his responsibilities to his offspring. Thirty years ago in 1992, Dan Quayle accused the producers of the popular sitcom Murphy Brown of glamorizing what he called America's worst crisis, missing fathers. The media accused him of going too far. But by 1995, a year in which nearly 40% of American children lived in fatherless homes, the entire nation rallied around the idea of bringing daddy home or forcing him to live up to his responsibilities. Congress created a bill cracking down on deadbeat dads. The FBI began tracking them across state lines. Kids need mentors, modeling, men who can be good examples in their lives, and fathers are an important part of that. In our family life, we dads have a major role in introducing our children to God as a heavenly father who will be there for them even when 
we're no longer around. And by our actions, we can reflect our Savior. We're helping our children feel loved and cared for and significant, just as God treasures us and gives us purpose and hope. First of all, prizing. The Father's first priority is prizing. Can you say that? Prizing. Yes, we'll talk about other perhaps more usual priorities, such as being a good provider and creating a safe, protected environment. But deep down, a child needs to know they are loved, cherished, prized, and valued for who they are and not just whatever they can do. Jesus taught in Luke 12:32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleased. Does your God smile? Think about this this morning and that ironic blessing, a lift up his countenance upon you. What's lifting up the countenance but smiling? Do you have this mental image of some grumpy old geezer about to hurl thunderbolts the moment you get out of line? That's not the image Jesus presents. New Living Translation. It gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The New Testament teaches that God is love. See 1 John 4, for example. How do we know that for sure? The Apostle John explains in his first letter, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His sending of Jesus to die in our place so we could be forgiven and brought near to him is the proof of God's love. God takes pleasure in his faith children. Ephesians 1.5 He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Notice those words, his pleasure. He is pleased to adopt us. He is pleased to give us the kingdom. Luke 10.21 At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. What that last bit? It pleased God to reveal his good news to you. God's children bring him pleasure and joy. In the Old Testament, Zephaniah 3.17 declared, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord prizes us, delights and rejoices in us. We are so precious to him as we trust in Christ and become increasingly identified with God's Son by the work of the sanctifying Holy Spirit. Very much the opposite of a neglectful or absentee father who scarcely spends any time with his kids because they don't matter that much to him compared to his other pursuits. Verse 33 talks about a treasure in heaven in verse 34. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What are we treasuring? What's the prize in our eyes? What's most precious, most tantalizing in our heart? Are we prizing the Lord above all? As parents, are we treasuring our children above this world's entertainments or gadgets? Put our phone down and look at them. 
Next, providing. This is probably one of the more common attributes expected of fathers, but I would still list it second because that prizing or holding precious aspect has major bearing on a person's self-esteem long after they've left home and even when their parents are deceased. If you know your earthly father really loved you and was proud of you, you mattered to him, that's much more important than whether you could afford the bought lunches at school or just had peanut butter sandwiches. Still, providing is pretty important in raising a family. Unfortunately, there are too many unproductive grown men, basically juvenile or what one might call boys with beards, living in their parents' basements, playing video games, or failing to ante up with child support for their kids. If we have a family and are able-bodied, we should be providing for their needs. That may sometimes take the shape of looking after the kids while mom is employed, depending on the circumstances and employment opportunities, but then the homemaking becomes a way the father provides. You still pull your weight. Our Heavenly Father provides for those who trust in Jesus. Earlier in Luke 12, Jesus pointed out how God provides for the ravens and lilies and concluded, how much more will he clothe you? Here in 12.32, we see the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So we can do what verse 33 says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. God is a giving God, providing the needs of his children so we can in turn become generous. First Timothy 6.17 Hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Even more critical than material items, God provides us with spiritual regeneration as a gift. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Peter adds... Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a merciful, generous, providing Heavenly Father. Sometimes animals can be God's surprise agents of provision. Emperor Charles V was trying to assassinate John Wren's friend of Martin Luther. Hearing of the plot, Brenz barely had time to grab a loaf of bread and duck into his neighbor's hayloft. There he hid 14 days. The bread was quickly gone, but the Lord sent a hen who showed up and laid an egg each day for 14 days. In this way, Brenz was kept alive. On the 15th day, the chicken didn't come. The reformer wondered what he would do. But from the street below came the cries, the cavalrymen are gone at last. In a similar way, a dog provided for the needs of another reformer, John Craig, who was arrested during the Inquisition. On the eve of his scheduled execution, Craig escaped, but while fleeing through the Italian backcountry, he ran out of food and money. Suddenly a dog approached him, a purse in its mouth. Craig tried to drive the animal away, but the dog persisted in bringing the purse to Craig. It was enough money to take him to freedom. That was providing. Now, protecting. God wants us to feel safe, protected in his care, come what may. How does the passage start out? Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. 
Verse 33, Jesus urges, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. Not exhausted. No thief or moth. Nothing's going to touch your heavenly treasure or be able to destroy it. First Peter 1.5, whoops. Uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As a believer in Christ, that says you are shielded by God's power through faith. Doesn't that sound like a pretty safe place to be? Psalm 121 celebrates this protecting aspect of God's care, his keeping us. Uh, Verse 5, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Verse 7 in the NIV, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Remember the castle keep, the most protected part of the castle? Ever drive by the old Godrich jail and marvel at the thick stone walls? This week we put up a deer fence around our vegetable garden, seven feet high. It's actually pretty flimsy because it's just plastic mesh that you have to stretch tight so it doesn't flop over, rather unimpressive. And it's not so much to keep the deer out as it is to keep geese out because they like to nibble plants and we have these darling Sebastopols that wander around all over the place. But it's still the idea of keeping something safe even if it doesn't nearly compare to the Godrich jail. Back to our passage, verse 39. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief is coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. In the parable, Jesus assumes it's the role of a homeowner to want to protect their property. Human fathers can be called upon to grab a flashlight and go investigate if there's a strange noise that goes bump in the night. The Lord God is our principal protector. Robert Bruce of Scotland was running for his life fleeing persecutors. He ducked into a small cave and a spider immediately appeared and spun a web over the opening. Bruce's pursuers fanned across the landscape knowing he was near. Two of them approached the cave and one of the men started to go in. But the other one stopped him saying, he could never have gotten in there without breaking that spider's web. Bruce breathed this prayer. Oh God, I thank thee that in the tiny bowels of a spider you can place for me a shelter. In 1947, missionaries Dick and Margaret Hillis and their four children settled in the Honan province of China. Nearby, a mission church swelled with nearly 1,000 Chinese people each Sunday. There was an impending war between Chiang Kai-shek and the forces of Mao Zedong. One day, Nationalist Captain Huang urgently told Mr. Hillis, you'd better take your family and flee. But it was too late. They had blown up all the railroad bridges. That evening, the Hillis family heard the first shots and soon a battle raged around them. The city soon fell and the streets filled with communist troops. Then a new danger emerged. The nationalist troops were lobbing shells at the rebels and one night, every shell that dropped exploded closer and closer to the Hillis' home. 
The house next door exploded, killing the entire family, and it appeared that Hillis's home would be next. The house quaked. The children screamed, and the family prepared to die. Then the shelling abruptly stopped, and the Hillis family cautiously emerged. The room was filled with debris, but no one was hurt. As Dick tucked his children into bed, he knelt beside Margaret Ann and noticed a dirty scrap of paper stuffed under her pillow. Printed in large childish letters were these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 46.1 Little Margaret Ann had been resting on a very big verse from a very faithful God. Preparing. An important aspect of parenting is preparing your offspring to deal with life on their own when you're no longer around, to give them roots and wings, as the saying goes. Jesus prepares his disciples for the time when he will no longer be with them physically. He wants us to be prepared, to be ready for the time when he returns to be judge of the living and the dead. 12.35, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. And verse 40, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you prepared? Are you ready? God has spent a long time preparing a kingdom for his children to enjoy once we enter that new dimension. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. God is already at work in your life through the Holy Spirit, if you have a relationship with Jesus, preparing you for the next phase of your spiritual journey. He is chipping away at the marble of the statue, as it were, so something that resembles Jesus may become apparent to others in your character. Romans 8.29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are becoming conformed to Jesus' likeness. And the early apostles took pains to prepare other believers to cope without them. They intentionally taught and coached Jesus' teachings, forming a community where Christ-like behavior would be reinforced and his ways remembered. 2 Peter 1.15 I will make every effort to see that after my departure you'll always be able to remember these things. Part of the preparation process. Let's recap where we've been in these priorities that fathers can develop to have lasting impact, just as our Heavenly Father works in our lives to grow His children. Rising, providing, protecting, preparing, and now the last, preferencing giving preference to others, submitting ourselves in view of others' needs. This is a tough one in a consumer culture where advertising constantly reinforces that we should be catering to our own appetites. Verse 35, be dressed ready for service. 
What does verse 37 imply about how power is to be exercised in Christ's kingdom? How does the master respond to the servants that he finds ready for his return? It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Now, there's a role reversal. The master waiting on the servants? That's entirely backwards. Aren't the servants supposed to be showing preference to the master? But here the master is serving them, giving the servants preference. That seems to be how Jesus works. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus demonstrated the night he was betrayed. John 13. Having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. This was a very intentional object lesson, emphasizing Jesus' priority of serving others. John 13, 15, he said right after doing that. I guess I missed this one. Um, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's just like God, showing such grace, unmerited favor. He doesn't love us or bless us because we deserve it, because sinners we don't. It's simply because of who he is, merciful, forgiving, passing over our faults when we cry out to him. Ephesians 1, 7 in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Riches of grace lavished on us. In our parenting, we'll be successful if we help our kids become ready to serve those who they're not necessarily obligated to help, but just want to reach out to due to sheer kindness and compassion, giving others preference. Peter is one of the chief leaders in the early church, yet in his letter to other church leaders, he didn't try to pull rank, but appealed to them humbly. He reminded them not to abuse their leadership privileges by serving for monetary gain or exploit their power and position. First Peter 5.3, he wrote, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Can we as dads, as parents, as uncles or aunts or just friendly mentors be demonstrating that for the next generation? Not the attitude that asks, what's in it for me? But how can I serve the person before me? How can I help them feel cared for and helped in a way that points to God's love and care for us all, seen in Jesus? In closing, Chuck Swindoll shares a personal story of a time his father walked with him through an embarrassing situation, but 
helped him forge a realization of what's really worth having in life. Swindoll recalls. I remember stealing six softballs when I was working as a stock boy in a five-and-dime store in my early years in high school. And I remember trying to find a place to hide them when I got home. I don't know what in the world I planned to do with six softballs. To this day, it just baffles me, the logic of it. But I stuck them in the back of my drawer, and my mother found them. My father presented himself to me and told me that we were going to make a trip back to the store where I was going to talk to the owner and I was going to confess. I will never forget his instruction on the way. I mean, I was just sitting there dying thinking about it. It was just like passing razor blades to think about standing before my employer. Well, I stood there and told him what I had done. My dad was waiting in the car. He didn't go with me. And I heard my boss say, you're fired. I stumbled back out to the car and sat down. I was as low as I could remember ever being. On the way, I remember my dad beginning to rebuild my emotions. I had done wrong. I had learned an incredible lesson. He didn't overdo it, but he drilled into me that when you steal, you get fired. And if you don't get fired at the moment, you lose something that can't be bought with any price, and that's your self-respect. I remember, too, we got on the subject of what in the world was I going to do with those six softballs? But there was something about the ornament of grace that came around my neck from my father, who, before we went in the house, took the time to put his arms around me and to understand. This teenage kid was most concerned about my father's not telling my friends. And as far as I know, he took that story to his grave and never told on me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that although we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, you not only draw it out of us to confess, but you also accompany us to the cross where things can be made right. You sent Jesus to die in preference to us, that we might be saved and forgiven and set free and reborn. We bless you as our protector and provider. We adore you for treating us as your precious prized ones. Continue, we pray, to prepare us for your kingdom. Help those of us who are earthly fathers to model Christ's grace in caring for those young lives who are watching us so closely and being deeply impacted by us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor.